Persons of Interest, a podcast featuring interviews with interesting people doing interesting things, diving into careers, personal stories, life lessons, and more. Here's your host, Derek Dockett. The Persons of Interest podcast is back with another episode. I say it time and time again how excited I am to have a guest on. Again, this is another one. Piggybacking off the last episode I had with Anthony Shavies. I hope you guys enjoyed that one because I did not expect that we would go as long as we did with Anthony Shavies, but uh, I thought it was going to be a 30-minute conversation. I was going to let him be, but we told some great stories, and now I'm excited because this is a great way to follow up what he talked about. Uh, Long-time Missouri State beat writer working for the Springfield News Leader. Now he's doing a number of other part-time projects that I'll ask him about, including uh, doing some things with uh, a new journalism journal journalist venture with the uh, Springfield Citizen. But Lyndall Scranton, appreciate you taking the time, sir. How are things going for you these days? Hey, Derek, thanks so much for the invitation to come on your show. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Things are going good, staying busy, and that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Especially these time of days. I know we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty and things that are going on, but obviously any way you can find the time to do things that you enjoy, do things that you're good at, it's always great. I've always enjoyed reading your writings, obviously specifically being a Bears basketball uh, fan and my time working in the Valley and getting to know you there. But I guess there's a number of things I wanted to ask you about, but over this past weekend, as we record here on Wednesday, March 2nd, really like I've been wanting to do this conversation for a while, but you sent out the tweet asking about a little Bears basketball history. So I wanted to start there. I guess we'll jump into this. You recently, the, the Springfield, tell me about the, your new adventure with the the Citizen, what's going on there. I know there's they've assembled a great amount of talent in terms of journalism and writers to provide a new, different approach to covering media and press down in Springfield, Missouri. And you're on the sports beat. So tell me about that new project that's happening down there now. Yep. The Springfield Daily Citizen, sgfcitizen.org, a new model of newspaper, uh, online only. It's digital only, no okay. print edition. Uh, it's a nonprofit model. This was set up some local business people thought that and there's no secret that the newspapers the traditional newspapers are struggling to cover the news all the corporate cutbacks that they have to suffer through my good buddy wyatt wheeler is a one-man sports staff yeah. and he does a tremendous job there are some great folks still over there doing on the news beat that do great jobs but they just can't cover everything so the citizen comes in and, and is hoping to be hyper local the goal is to be cover local news tell good local stories the nonprofit model is you're not owned by people in a corporation on the East Coast who are looking to bleed every dollar for their shareholders. These are local folks who are committed to, through their model, through their sponsorships and donations and a subscription model that will eventually come along for folks who read this to eventually make a little bit of money on this and become self-sustaining for the, I think there's a reporting staff of seven and a staff of 11 overall at the Citizen, 
I'm on a free, I'm on a freelance basis along with several other former okay. news leader people who, uh, who uh, just contribute stories. I'm doing two sports stories a week, a trial run to see how sports is received in this, this new adventure to see how folks like it. Nice. Nice. I mentioned you wrote something that piqued my interest and I've been wanting to do this topic more in a, my, my goal would be to do like a panel. Like I'd love to get yourself, Art Haynes, gosh, I don't know, Rick Kindheart, maybe just some folks that have been around Missouri State for years that have seen it all because I myself, I'm only familiar from 1997 on. My freshman year down there of the roster then and just coincides to be with Jackie Styles' freshman year. I, I guess I call a little bit of the golden era of 1999, men's basketball, Sweet 16. The Lady Bears go on their run. Of course, we know what happens in 2001. The baseball team starts clicking all cylinders. 2003 happens. Soccer has success. Swimming always has success. There's just lots of positive things happening with athletics in Missouri State at that time, but specifically Specifically talking about basketball, had never heard of this school until I came to campus and visited and ended up going to school down there. So my my familiarity and my memories of it are just from that point on. You have more extensive knowledge. So when you pose the question of asking folks about their 10 favorite players and you put the caveat on it of what you've seen, and right. I did my list, the caveat of what I've seen, I was looking through the feed, the responses that we got and spurred some good conversation. But my first question is, if you were to uh, describe three players to me, Curtis Perry, Winston Garland, Daryl Garrison, because I know those guys, those jerseys are hanging in the rafters, historic players. How would you describe those players to people like me who have not seen them play? Yeah, Curtis Perry played in the late 60s. His senior year was 69-70. Led the Bears to the NCAA Division II championship game where they lost in the final. I was young when I saw Curtis, but I do remember seeing Curtis play. Just a, he towered over people. He was six foot seven, six foot eight, powerful, athletic, you name it. He had the whole package. And the guy went on and played eight years in the NBA and won a championship for the Milwaukee Bucks, played for the Phoenix Suns, a team that reached the finals in the mid 70s. Guy, a guy was a legit talent who, uh, who wound up at Missouri State. They say that his freshman year, the team probably would have beaten Earl Monroe and Winston-Salem in the Division II championship, but freshmen were ineligible to play in postseason huh, at okay. that time. So they were minus Curtis, still went to the championship game and were beaten by Earl Monroe. But he was just a just a towering power, powerful player, I would say. Just And then you move on to... Uh, taking them uh, chronologically to uh, Daryl Garrison and played in the 70, 72 to 76 era, I believe it was. And he, he also led his team to the national championship game where they lost him to um, Morgan State and Marvin Webster, went on to play in the NBA. Garrison, just a terrific scorer. As I recall, he was similar in size to what Isaiah Mosley is today and scored in many ways. And this was before the three-point shot. There's no telling how many points that they right. all would have scored in the, if they had the three-pointer. And he's the school's career scoring all-time leader now. And this that's what spurred this list on was I was writing a column on Isaiah Mosley because if he sticks around next year and stays healthy, he's going to be the school's career scoring leader. He'll, he'll pass Garrison and and be the all-time great bear scorer. And I wanted to get a sense or give people a sense of where I thought maybe he fits in the school, in the history of the school's best players. And certainly he's headed that direction and deserves to be in the discussion. And that's where I decided to do a little sidebar, just breaking out my own top 10. But that's where that idea came from, was talking, was exploring Isaiah Mosley. 
Then we move on to Winston Garland, who is the is the greatest in the Division One era. Of course, he came along at the perfect time as a school was just trying to establish itself as a Division One program. Eighty five to eighty seven led the Bears to their uh, first postseason play in eighty six with the NIT. Two of the greatest atmospheres I've ever seen when the Bears hosted uh, Pittsburgh and Marquette and the old Hammond Student Center yeah. standing room only, the fire marshals turning people away. <laughs> Heard those stories. Then, yeah, just uh, just an awesome atmosphere. And that's the first taste anybody had of Division One basketball, what it could be at Missouri State or then Southwest Missouri State. And, of course, the next year, uh, Winston leads the Bears to the NCAA tournament for the first time and beats Clemson in the first round, loses to Danny Manning and the Jayhawks in, in the second round. But he also goes on and has a nice NBA career, I think parts of seven seasons. And now his son's making big waves with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Darius Garland. Those three are the the top three. Perry, Garland, and Garrison is how I ranked them. Nice. So I tweeted back my list, again, 1997 to present, and in no order. We... And these are mostly for me. When you when I read through your question, I'm like, okay, for me, impact. Who first pops in my head? Kyle Weems, Alizé Johnson, Blake Ahern, Danny Moore, Scott Brakebill, Tulio da Silva, Isaiah Mosley, Gage Prim, Kevin All. And even though I never saw him play, I initially went with Curtis Perry, um, right. thinking, and then it hit me. I'm like, man, wait a minute, there's other Bears jerseys hanging in the Raptors. And I went that route because I couldn't think of a 10th player to put in that I thought gave me that impact from my era, 97 Mm -hmm. on. So that's why I went that route. And then I was looking at it, I think looking at my list again, and I'm like, okay, I did that without looking at the media guide. So I went back in and dug in. I'm like, if I were to take 10 and create a roster, all-time Bears that I thought could take on any team and have success, I was thinking to myself, okay, that's not too bad. I've got some bigs with Prim, Breakbill. Breakbill was so versatile. I don't know if how many right. people remember watching him play, but just so versatile. But I started thinking about some of all the players from the late 90s, early 2000s that I thought were great, and it what really hit me was Alan Phillips. Wasn't here for four years, but right. part of that Sweet 16 team, one of those swing players could score different ways. We've had a lot of these guys that have been such great role players. It surprises me, and I don't know what to account it to, but it just surprises me how much talent has come through Springfield, and we've only had 1999. Yeah, that, that is astounding when you think about it. So many near misses over the last 20 20 plus years. You mentioned earlier about getting a panel, putting a panel together back in night. And it was on the school's 100th anniversary, the centennial of the school in I think 2008, 2009. I actually did that. I put together a list of art and Ned Reynolds and several people, yeah. about, about about 20 people trying to get, and I, and I had them do their own rankings and I didn't see anybody pre-1967 or couldn't remember them as from great players. But I, I was able to compile my own top 20 list based on their input. So we did that and had a series in the paper where we released one a day, counting it down 20 to one. So that was a lot of fun to do. And I, I think Rick uh, had that in the media guide for a few years after that. And I, I'm sure he probably still has that list somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Stille will probably be another great one, too. He's seen so yes. much of that history. Gotta love Stille. Fast forward to 2022, 2022. Since you're back 
doing some coverage now. The Bears, as we, like I said, as we get ready to talk here, the conference tournament, Arch Madness is getting ready to start. It's great to have you, another writer, someone else covering. Wyatt's been doing a great job, but I always love the extra voices because, again, it's the team that I follow the most closely since I'm a college basketball nut, uh, and it's my alma mater. But your thoughts on the current team as they head into the conference tournament and the outlook for uh, this coming weekend of what might happen, their chances at uh, maybe breaking that that uh, drought of ninth from since 1999. Yeah, you, you've been there. I've seen this program get close so many times. I, I think it's five times they've been in the championship yeah. game since 99 and and haven't been able to to get it done. You know, it sets up nicely for them when you look at this year with eight and zero against the teams on their side of the bracket. And they always say it's hard to beat a team three right. times. Dwight and I always <laughs> laugh about that. I said, well, you beat them twice. So there's no reason you shouldn't beat them a third time. Bingo. <laughs> so so uh, you look at that either way. I guess it could be hard to beat a team three times if the games were close. But the Bears have pretty well dominated the opponents on that side of the bracket. Now that comes to Sunday. And, and depth may be an issue. The Bears aren't the deepest team in the world yeah. with only eight healthy players. There's uh, uh, DeMarcus Sharp may or may not return from a foot injury. He can give them some much-needed depth for the weekend if he's able to go but i think they're i think the bears set up nicely to get to sunday and face either uh, i would guess loyola or i'm going to say loyola or bradley i think i think whoever wins that four or five game on friday which is shaping up to be a tremendous game i think they they go to the finals and, and get past northern iowa who should northern iowa's had a nice run but i just don't know that they're as good as uh good as the number one seed should be but yeah. uh, we'll see it's. I think the one thing we all know is that any, anything can happen, especially after last year with Valpo reaching the finals. But it's always shaped up that something wacky, someone will get hot. That's what this is. This time of year is all about getting hot at the right time. That unsung hero or the, your go-to player doing what they need to do. I'm thinking back to the 2011 tournament where the Bears played in the final against Indiana State. Came up short there, but a game against Southern Illinois. Just a knockdown drag out. I think it was like a 50 game was in the 50s for the final, but the Bears needed a bucket from Weems to get past Southern to win that game. And it was just a grind. It was not what they had normally been playing up to that point. So I'm thinking, who knows what could happen? It's, it's going to be interesting. Bradley's you, you mentioned Bradley. They've been so playing so well of late, maybe one of the hottest teams coming into the tournament. I wouldn't be shocked to see them go on a run and, and knock some teams off, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah, Brian Wardle seems to have Bradley going this time of the year. He's what they've won the tournament twice in recent years, yeah, including 2020 when they couldn't go to the NCAA tournament. But I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a Bradley-Missouri State final on Sunday, or it could be uh, it's totally different than that. Who knows? Do you want to go on the record with an official pick or no? I, I, I'm gonna, I, if I had to make an official pick, I would say Loyola Missouri State on Sunday with Loyola probably winning. I just, gosh, it's hard to, it's hard to say with any confidence that the Bears are going to win this tournament, but certainly they're way overdue to do. I, I participate. I don't know if you've ever seen on Twitter, the Jerome. It's a bracket, not a bracket, a, a pick'em contest of conference tournaments, and you just flat out pick who you think will win each tournament. And this week starts, it's all started, The so I believe the SoCon tournament started already, so you had to have your picks in by 11 o'clock today for all of the tournaments that were this week. So that includes the Missouri Valley. So it's SoCon, it's America East, the Valley, OV, all those, the, the conferences that all get started this week. So I had to pick a you Missouri pick Valley Bears, winner. Right? I did not pick the Bears. Okay. okay. <laughs> I picked Loyola. And I don't even know why. I just think they might be out for revenge after stumbling the last 
you know, game and last week maybe out out for revenge. And I don't know why they, I don't know. I, I just never like to pick against them. And maybe it's the experience fact. I don't know. Um, that was, I picked Loyola. So well, yeah, it makes sense. That was a classic between them and Northern Iowa. Yeah. In the, in, in the fi- regular season finale. But man, I remember 30 years ago, it's 30, 30 years ago since the bears won their only Missouri Valley uh, 90, tournament. Yeah. Wow. Good. Wow. At the, old, at the old barn. And what a night that was with Jackie Crawford, the l- little five foot eight guard winning MVP honors at the tournament to lead the bears. And Johnny Murdoch was a freshman and spoon was, that was his, his final Valley tournament game as his bears coach. So that a lot of time has passed since then. Yeah. One more bears basketball note before I want to switch topics on you, everything that you've covered and your time being on the beat for the bears is there one moment, if you could take 1999 out of it, take the Sweet 16 out of it, because I know that sticks out because how many times does a program like Missouri State, Southwest Missouri State, get to play Duke? But is there a moment that stands out for you as something that is on the court or off the court, something that stands out as special? It could be a hire, an interview, a player achieving something. There, for those of us that follow this team closely, and every program has those, they have things that stand out to that make them special and that just sticks in their head. Anything like that for you that sticks out in your time covering Missouri State? I think there's probably two. It's the 1987 NCAA tournament in Atlanta where the Bears go and, and beat Clemson. It, it's so new. It's a new experience for the community to, to have a team doing this at that level. We were writing for both an AM and PM newspaper at that time. We were doing stories as soon as the game ended for the afternoon paper because it was an early tip-off that day in Atlanta. In Atlanta. They were flying newspapers from Springfield to Atlanta for the wow. fans who were there so they could see it the next morning. Just a really cool experience. Then uh, 2011, the Bears winning their only regular season title with an almost full JQH arena. That was amazing. I was there for day. that one. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I know you were. And I, I always remember Kyle Weems <laughs> jumping up onto the press table just inches away from my laptop uh, celebrating. And and I, I was so focused, I had to get a story turned in. I, I couldn't pay attention to what Kyle was doing. I was just <laughs> glad he didn't land on my laptop. Yeah, I, I was at that same table because that game was on ESPN2. And uh, I was doing the official stats on headset for that game. And I've, that season, that 2010-11 season, was so special with the games against Northern Iowa, Creighton, and Wichita in the regular season. Had not seen, and I don't think we still have seen that building, that ruckus, that packed, energized, electric for those games against those rivals. Just such a special year. Hopefully the Bears can do something special this weekend. And that NCAA drought could just be history and something special could be ahead of us. So we'll see yeah, what happens. I know everybody's tired of talking about how long it's been yeah. ready to ready to end the drought. And it makes, I always root for the best storyline and that would be a tremendous storyline. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I also want to ask you because another project that you have inspired me about two, three summers ago. I can't remember, even know how long it's been now, but you were doing, I guess, podcast, maybe turn, did it, turn, I don't know if it went from podcast to radio to podcast and both talking a little barbecue. And I don't think I ever knew that you had such a strong barbecue interest when I was a student at Missouri State. I guess I just don't remember it being front of mind, especially I would have known like during the Henson years, you'd be, you know, talking all kinds right. of things like that with them. But the tailgate guys, you were my inspiration on buying a, a smoker, albeit I bought a cheap Cheater, I have an electric smoker, but tell the folks about the tailgate guys and a little, let's talk a little competition barbecue. 
Yeah, I was the ultimate uh, hobby barbecue guy while I was in the newspaper business and just do it on weekends. Steve Kaler, the longtime fellow news leader employee, was a neighbor of mine. We'd always be out cooking on weekends and we thought, hey, it'd be cool. This happened after I left in 2015, late in 2015. I said, it'd be cool if we could uh, do, a, do a barbecue show, barbecue radio show and talk sports as well. We call it tailgate guys. We'll combine those two passions of sports and barbecuing. And we just laughed it off thinking that wouldn't, would never happen. But I, in passing, mentioned it to a Tom Ladd, who was in the radio business, the voice of the lady bears. And he was, he heard me mention that and said, I, I think I can make that happen. He was looking for some <laughs> new shows to, to put on in, in the local markets. Went on as the tailgate guys radio show in January of 2016. Now, I don't know if that's very intelligent to start a barbecue show in the middle of winter. <laughs> it was, uh, I think five degrees the morning we debuted the show. It was on Saturday mornings. But we did that show on local radio for three years and in a very low frequency signal. So I'm not sure how many people uh, heard that on local radio, but decided to switch it over to podcast in 2019. The best move that we ever have had people uh, download the show in 67 countries and uh, awesome. all across the USA, of course, and have some loyal listeners. And we've been able to talk to the biggest names in uh, barbecue since then. Some of my heroes that I used to see on TV cooking, I've been able to have them on the show and that's morphed into uh, a crossover into competition barbecue. Now we're it's the tailgate guys competition team along with the podcast. It's been a labor of love to do that, do those things the last, oh gosh, going on six years now. Awesome. Obviously you shared on Twitter and I always loved barbecue restaurants. I'd never, ever given a thought of cooking my own. It actually, prior to me buying a smoker, sounded actually challenging and daunting. Like, why in the world? How would I know how to cook a rack of ribs? Um, and then I just got to listening more and more. And then I started finding videos and websites and watching stuff on TV. And I'm like, huh. So I started researching and I remember reaching out to you about smokers and I'm like, oh, that sounds way too challenging. A gas grill at the time. And I'm like, eh, I don't do charcoal anymore. I'm not really ready to contain a control of fire. And a friend of mine had shared some brisket that he cooked and said, yeah, I made this on an electric smoker. And I remember reaching out like, hey, what do you know about these things? You're like, well, not for me. I've known people that get great results out of it. It's a different thing, but personal preference. So I started looking into it. And I remember the one that I thought I was going to buy was one of those chest type where it's got the door on it and the shelf. I did not go with that one. I ended up going with the Traeger. This is not an advertisement in the podcast, but I bought the lowest level Traeger with the pellets. And it's from that point on has been no looking back. Best purchase I've ever made because not only have I less frequently been to barbecue restaurants, because I'm sure you probably agree there's more pride when you're making your own. But now I'm like thinking of all the different things. Like, why did I not try cooking that or eating that? Whatever. Like I've done brisket. I've done ribs. I've done pulled pork, chicken. I I do turkey every Thanksgiving for my family now in the smoker. So it's become more of a, a labor of love for me too. Every Sunday I feel I have to cook something and have food lunch for the week is my thing. My question for you, what's your favorite thing to to throw on uh, the, the the grill on a week? First off, I'll just say that people, you, you can throw anything on a smoker, vegetables, you can even yes. desserts on smokers. So it's, it's, it's like an outdoor kitchen for me, especially in the warm weather months. My favorite would be, uh, always, I guess always has been on partial to ribs of St. Louis cut pork spare ribs. I think if you can learn to cook 
ribs to the right tenderness, you can cook anything. Yeah. I think there's a fine line there of getting ribs, uh, either, either leaving them underdone or getting them overdone. You master your fire and heat management to get the ribs. You're on your way. So that'll always be my favorite. Although, uh, Gosh, we had a tough year in 2021 on, on the judges didn't like our ribs very much. So we're trying to correct that this year. Brisket is becoming more and more my my number two or my number one A, I guess you'd say favorite brisket. There's nothing more rewarding in barbecue than cooking a brisket perfectly. Yeah, I agree the with that. With, the trouble with brisket is it's not an inexpensive cut of meat, especially these days. So you have to pick your spots to, to cook a brisket. Because uh, it, you don't want to mess it up. It yeah. just costs too much. I'd say ribs and, and brisket closely following behind. Nice. I have uh, only done the full packer brisket once. It did not turn out well. So I've now gone to finding either the pre-cut, already trimmed uh, brisket flat. A mm-hmm. um, little bit cheaper, not buying the whole thing. Or there's a, a meat shop locally near where I live, and they will sell a full one that's already pre-trimmed. I just got to cook it <laughs> properly. And I've done that once when we had a family gathering here and there. But it can be challenging. But I think the one thing I've learned is patience. It's right. obviously, it's not full-fledged fire. It's keeping that. And again, I'm saying to someone with an electric one, I just set the dial to 275, 180, wow. whatever it is, and let it do its thing. And, and I'm cooking to temperature, not to time. And that's the one thing I learned. You're cooking yes. to temperature, not to time. So it's when you cook something great, it's awesome. Which leads to my next question. You said you guys had the, the challenging with the ribs, but isn't so much of it personal preference? Like, oh, how tough is it when you do these competitions? Because aren't you cooking to what Judge A may like and Judge B may not like? How, how does that work, in, work out with these competitions? The certified KCBS judges have to take a class where they go by certain guidelines. Okay. And now taste the taste. You're scored in three categories: appearance, where you want to make your make it look as pretty as possible, and you have your greenery in the box, which is a little bit excessive for the regular people to understand. <laughs> but you want to make it to look pretty because they say you eat with your eyes to start off. The second criteria is, uh, and these are weighted with appearance, the least of your score. Middle part of your score is tenderness. You you know a rib, for instance. You hear about fall off the bone ribs. Yeah. Everybody loves fall off the bone ribs. Certainly people who eat at home or eat in a restaurant probably do love fall off the bone ribs, and so do I. But the mark of a perfectly cooked rib is not falling off the bone. It's to take a bite that's clean that and the rest of the meat around that bite stays on the bone, and, and that shows that the rib is cooked, not overdone. It's not underdone. If it has a clean bite with the rest of the meat staying in place, that's what you're looking for. That's a perfect score on a, on a tenderness. And then, of course, the the most weighted score is the taste, and that is where it is subjective. And uh, there's nothing uh, more frustrating to uh, than to, to go to a contest. And this even happens to the world championship cooks that I talk to. They're as frustrated a lot of times as the rest of us that uh, they think they've cooked a wonderful tasting rib, and two of the six judges ding them on the, on the taste score, and that, that kills your chances to win. Yeah, it's it's a thing that you have to really have patience with the with the judges because it doesn't always go your way, even though you think you cooked a great piece of meat. Taking competitions out of it, where do you fall in terms of sauce? Are you a sweet, spicy? You make your own. What what's your uh, go to in terms of sauces? Or maybe you are sauce at all, at all. Before I started competing, I, w- I would always be sauce on the side. Okay. It would be more of a sweet sauce that I, that I enjoyed, a Kansas City-style 
sauce in competition they the judges love the sauce you have to sauce your meat you even sauce your brisket believe it or not at least lightly in competition barbecue which was which be we unheard of for in texas certainly yeah never sauce a piece but you always want to apply your sauce put it on near the end of the process don't put it on too early you don't want to burn it Put it on lightly so it'll set and give a nice shine. You want some shine to your meat and you don't want it spicy. That's one thing I've found the judges do not want. You don't want to offend the judges. You want to be as middle of the road as not give them diabetes too sweet, certainly, <laughs> but also not give them anything too spicy. Play sure. that middle of the road as best you can and get the tenderness. That's the main thing. Nice. I, I have found certain things that I like and when I've cooked things, for others, they tend to like them. Like I've migrated to a certain type of seasoning. I've migrated to a certain type of sauce that I continuously buy. If you were to give a barbecue novice, and I still consider myself a novice, although a buddy of mine, we, we're doing another podcast now. And since we both have Traegers and we both enjoy doing it, uh, we've, we've ventured out outside of the rib brisket pulled pork thing i'm now trying uh tri-tip i've done like i said turkey every thanksgiving now i'm gonna do i'm gonna try rib tips this weekend i've Mm -hmm. I've done regulars but i've never done those before found those at a grocery store for you is there a you're making your seasonings you find something you like what's your seasoning go to and if you're making what's your number one you you mentioned the ribs but your number one go to if you really want to impress somebody of of a meal, what are you cooking for them? That's, that's a good question. I think the most, the baseline of barbecue is pulled pork. It's cooking a, a pork butt, a big old eight to 10 pound pork butt. It, it, that's something that I think is, you. and talking to guys who own restaurants, that's the number one, number one item people yeah. measure your restaurant on is, is pulled pork. If you can do the pulled pork, you're going to please just about anybody. And that's where you can, it's, it's more forgiving too. You, you can make a mistake more with pork butt and, and root recover and make it taste good if you've uh, if you've done something wrong during the cook it you can recover it better by saucing it up or adding some extra spices and so forth but yeah i would say pork butt and if you want to go big go you know get a brisket uh, if you're having a small gathering you can't you can't feed too many people on a, on, on a brisket right. because it's uh, not a, not a cheap meat but to do that and i would, I would also offer the tip you mentioned it earlier don't don't go by time go by color and, and temperature and tenderness when, when you're figuring out when the meat is over. You know, you hear about this two two one method for ribs. That's just that's just garbage. You're liable to burn your ribs up. Yeah. Because different cookers go different temperatures, different lengths of time, different like one of the these champions have told us on our barbecue show, good barbecue is done when it's done. Yeah. Sometimes it's the same type of meat. One eight pound pork butt might take uh, five hours. Another one might take uh, five and a half hours. You just have to keep your eye on the color and the temp and the probe. That's definitely what I've learned. I've, I've, I have a digital one that I keep on that thing that works wirelessly so I can monitor it with my phone. I've got a probe. I go and check the thing in different spots. I don't know. I've gotten so much into it now. I've got all these gadgets to help me do it. And I've, like I said, I've got an electric smoker, so I know my temperature varies. I Once I realize I have a hot spot on the grill, I, I learned all these things about it. It's been fun. Like I said, I, I had no idea I would like it so much, but I'm going to say this and my, my wife may, may shoot me, but I'm now thinking of getting a bigger Traeger at some point too, because I love cooking go. it so much. Again, I, I thought about it at the time. I have no interest in controlling a fire, but but the electric and the pellets, that's my thing now. So. Yeah, those pellets 
pellets are good. Are good. And there are a lot of guys are using those and doing well on the competition circuit. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I've never, I've only cooked on one once I borrowed or I used it. We were Memphis in May three years ago. Help. I was helping a team and they were using a, using a uh, pellet smoker. It was a big commercial type of pellet smoker to, to cook a bunch of pork shoulders that our team was doing. And I, they had a brisket, a Wagyu brisket. They asked me to cook for them. So I cooked it on the uh, pellets. It turned out great. So I'd, I'd love to have one for my backyard. And that's probably my next purchase if I'm able to nice. add another one to my arsenal. I already have seven. So I don't know <laughs> if I need, need an eighth smoker. but uh, Sure you be, do. That's on, the, that's on the list, though. Sure you do, because then you can cook everything at once and like you said on, on the electric on the smokers i mean I've, I've, in the the traeger app that i have they're talking about cooking pizza vegetables all kinds of stuff recipes in there which i honestly that's one of the things that once i looked up that the app when you buy a smoker it's got it in there and i'm like wow you can make all this stuff in there it's not just ribs it's not just a brisket all these things like i've done salmon on mine before just great it's phenomenal so i would highly encourage anybody uh that's thinking about it take a look if the electric isn't for you and you like the charcoal and the wood chips or any of that check it out because the other thing that i found and i actually feel bad about this because there's so many great restaurants that i love visiting especially here in st louis that i'm finding myself going to barbecue restaurants fewer because I can just go and buy the meat myself and cook it. And I take a little bit more pride in preparing it myself. I always like to support those businesses, but at the same time, I like cooking it myself. It's a little bit of a labor of love. So, Yes. I get the question all the time. What's your favorite place to go when you go to Kansas City or St. Louis or uh, even in Springfield? What's your favorite restaurant? Well, we have some good ones. Yeah. I, I don't go often because I cook cook it at home. Yeah. So that's my, that's what I like to do, and it's rewarding, relaxing. It's something I love to do. Nice. So I really appreciate your time. This has been awesome to catch up with you. I hope you guys give Lindell a follow. If you're not following him on Twitter already, his Twitter is at Lindell Scranton, L-Y-N-D-A-L. S-C-R-A-N-T-O-N um, doing oh, we, we didn't even talk about uh, Lucas Speedway. Touch on that for a little bit. Your work there. You've been doing PR work as well for the, uh, the dirt track racing. Yep, Lucas Oil Speedway, located in Wheatland, Missouri, about an hour north of Springfield. It's one of the nicest uh, facilities in the country. It's a dirt track. It's an off has an off road track. It has a drag boat facility. It has a go kart track. I, I compare it a lot to going to a minor league baseball game at a okay. nice stadium. It's family friendly. A lot of things for the kids to do. But the season runs from April through October, and I run their PR form. They want uh, they want stories year round. They want to spread the word about. Lucas Oil Speedway, and it's it's been a real blessing to work for those folks. And uh, racing is also another one of my longtime passions, so it's been been fun to do that. In addition to the other projects and the barbecue podcast and all that stuff, and I'd, hey, I'd love for folks to follow us there too. We're on Facebook at uh, Tailgate Guys BBQ and on Twitter at Tailgate Guys Nine Nine Nine. Yeah, I was going to give you the shout out there. Follow, give him the follow on the barbecue podcast. I'm a listener. I love it. I always hear something that's interesting, even though, like I said, I, I call myself the cheater smoker with the electric, but I love that and I love watching the TV shows. So it's always interesting to see what the pros are up to and hearing their thoughts on things. It's fun. Uh, Serve Will, it's Archman this weekend. Looking forward to watching some basketball, regardless of what happens with the Bears, because March is a great time for college basketball fans. Look forward to reading your work, the Springfield at SGF Citizen. Give them a shout out to as you've been writing there for the Springfield Daily Citizen. Lyndall Scranton, thank you so much for your time all the way from Springfield, Missouri. It's been a pleasure, sir. And as always, keep up the great work. Derek, thanks. It's been a lot of fun to talk uh, basketball and barbecue and everything else in between. And it's been a blast. Hope we can do it again. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Persons of Interest. This podcast is a personal project with the goal of sharing stories that might inspire others to create their own path. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have a guest suggestion, you can reach Derek on Twitter at ddocket. This has been Persons of Interest.